0: Welcome to the Heart of Flesh podcast. This is Jackson Hankey. I'm joined by my friend James Kaiser.
1: Good to be back on.
0: And we are continuing our series um, discussing the doctrine of God. I want to begin by reading a verse from, or a, f- a few verses from Psalm 42. Psalm 42 begins this way: Verse one, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Um, if you joined us in our last episode...
1: That was um, some great Bible reading, by the thank way.
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
1: Nice and slow, measured. Amen. I, the listeners yeah. are probably touched right now. Yeah. Hey, guys, pro tip. If you ever get a chance to
0: read the Bible, it's important how you read it. Amen. Um, you should read it with reverence and in a good and understandable pace. All right. Well, if you joined us in the last episode, we begun a, we began a new series on the doctrine of God. Um, and we began by talking just about the importance of the doctrine of God. Um, we gave a few reasons why we should study God himself. Uh, one reason was that the Bible is all about God. Um, we noted how many times the, the Bible uses the word God, because um, the Bible is a book about God. Um, we also noted that true, it's true knowledge of God uh, and true love for God that is the source of all true spiritual life. Um, If you want to have a thriving spiritual life, you need to know who God is. Um, Lastly, we talked about how uh, the doctrine of God, getting that right, um, protects from having bad theology elsewhere. Um, If you get the doctrine of God right, many other things will fall into place. It's sort of like the first button on a shirt. If you get it right, uh, the rest sort of follows. If you have a good doctrine of God, uh, you will have a good doctrine of salvation. You'll have a good doctrine of scripture. And you'll have a good doctrine of the church and other things like that. Um, so it is important to study uh, the doctrine of God. And that's why we're doing this. Um, now today we want to sort of add another building block onto uh, this series and onto the doctrine of God. We're going to be asking sort of a foundational question. Um, one thing that we need to address is, is, is this. Can human beings know God? Um, can we possess a, a knowledge of God? And if, if the answer to that question is yes, then the, uh, the next question is how? Um, another way to say that is just what, what we want to get at in this episode is what is necessary for us to have a true and saving knowledge of God? Um, if, if God is knowable, how is he knowable? Um, and if if there's certain things that we need to know about God, how can we know them? Okay. Um, and you will not be surprised that our answer to this question is going to be that we need to go to the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. Um, We did a whole podcast series on the doctrine of Scripture. Um, We need special revelation for God in order to know Him. Um, But what we're going to talk about first is I want to show that the, the centrality of this and the reality that there is no other way other than special revelation from God that we can know what we need to know about Him. Okay, so one thing I want to talk about is that is the reality that that human reason, if it's operating independent from special revelation, it is not enough to know God in the way that we need to know God. Um, Another another way that falls short is is human sense experience or observation. Um, That is another way that is insufficient to know what we need to know about God. Um, and even as Christians, you know, the Bible teaches a doctrine of general revelation that there are certain things we can know about God from from creation um, and from the way things work in the world. But again, we want to go to show that this is not enough um, for what we need to know about God in order to be saved in order to have genuine spiritual life. Yes. James, you want
1: to anything to that? Just with regards to human reason and human experience, Uh, not only are they not far enough to get you uh, to know enough about God in a saving and true way, they're also fallible. Um, We're fallen human creatures, and obviously I'm getting that from the Word of God and what it says about the world and human beings. Uh, Therefore, our ability to understand is, is fallen and corrupt. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, Jeremiah says. So therefore, um, I don't know if we should be trusting our human reason, um, but as we'll go into the episode, you'll see that although the human reason and experience is fallible, in a sense, it, it does help bolster our confidence that that God does exist, that there's an intelligent creator, that the world is created with, with reason and logic and patterns and structures. Um, but like Jackson said, it, it doesn't get you to the triune God of the Bible and saving faith in Jesus Christ. Only the scriptures can take you there.
0: Yep. Um, and guys, the reality of what we're talking about today, and I just, you should genuinely take some time to meditate on this, but um, the God who's created everything, the God who's made us, he has given us a, a special revelation of himself. If you own a copy of the Bible, a copy of the word of God, uh, that is a special revelation from God to humanity. Uh, to teach us about him, to teach us about his mighty works um, that he's done in history to reveal to us the gospel of his son um, so that we may know him and make him known and, and that one day as is his promise that we may dwell with him. Um, that is a, a glorious, wonderful thing and I, I pray that as we go through this episode you will you will view your Bible in a different way. Um, this is Amen. something that God has given us to know him. He has specially, revealed
1: himself to us in this book and it is alive it is living and active amen if we can do anything with this podcast in general is that to to give you confidence in the word of god and desire to read it to know who god is to open the bible uh not to learn things about the bible necessarily but to seek god's face mm-hmm. and to know him um oh Yes, I I just that's our prayer for you guys, uh, is that you grow in your love for God's word, because that is how God has chosen to reveal himself. And we live in such a time and a place where we can have it on our cell phones. We have it in the English language. Um, I was even listening with William Tyndale. He gave his blood. uh, He was martyred for the sake of the English Bible so that we can have it. um, Each person and really a copy uh, in their own house or multiple
0: Yeah, that's a a great joy. We should be very thankful. Um, So the first thing that we're going to address is the insufficiency of human reason to know God in a saving way. Um, So now through, and when I say human reason, I don't mean to say that, um, what I mean is human reason operating independently from special revelation. Uh, Human reason operating apart from the Bible. Um, it's, it's, It's a way of saying, can I know God just by my faculties of reason, apart from the study of Scripture. Um, and there are, throughout history, there's been a number a, n- a number of arguments for the existence of God uh, that have been put forward by certain people in the church. Um, uh, the, m- the Middle Ages was especially prominent for this. Not even people this. in the church. Sometimes as, not as even people in the church, as, as we'll get is. to. Um, Thomas Aquinas, if you're familiar with that name, he was a medieval theologian. Um, but he was famous in his, in his uh, famous book, his sort of magnum opus, uh, the book Summa Theologica. Um, he was famous for putting forth five arguments for the existence of God. Um, and sometimes what we refer to these as the, the classical arguments. Um, they don't depend on uh, Scripture as a basis, but they are sort of depending on human reason. And I'm going to go through a few of them Um, They'll be different from exactly how Aquinas presented them, but they've been kind of shaped and molded over time. Um, So the first one I'm going to go through is called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. The Kalam Cosmological Argument. So this is an uh, an argument for the existence of God. Um, And basically it goes like this. It was developed uh, quite a long time ago, but there's three premises uh, to this argument. Premise number one is this. Whatever begins to exist must have a cause. Premise two: the universe began to exist, and premise three: therefore, the universe has a cause for its existence. Um, that cause being God. Um, so this this argument was given to demonstrate um, the reality that that there is th- there must be an uncaused first cause in existence Um, there must be in philosophy what is called a necessary being Um, that's a that's a philosophical way to say that there is a being in existence um, who is self-existent who is not caused by another being Um, and we see as we look at the world and at the universe that the universe itself is contingent it had a, a a beginning it has a cause that caused it we look at ourselves and we know that we are not infinite. We are not eternal. Um, we have a cause. Uh, we are the effect of a cause. Um, we are, in, a, in that sense, we are what, w- what would be called philosophically a contingent being. We are contingent. Um, our existence is contingent on, on a necessary being. Mm-hmm. Um, and because what w- all that we know about cause and effect, we know that every effect has a cause. And we know that there cannot be an infinite regress of uh, causes and effects. There must be um, a
1: first cause, which is uncaused. Yeah. Let me just put this in uh, a way that I can understand. <laughs> um, I think this illustration will hold through. But essentially, we look at the world and we see, like Jackson said, that that it works in causes and effects. Everything does. And so with this... Um, theory, we can know that there is a first cause like, um, dominoes. Um, we know that the dominoes, we see that they have fallen, um, but there means to be something that, that flicks the first domino. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's a first cause, a first flick of the domino. And there's also someone who set up the dom, the dominoes. Um, but we, we know because what we can see and observe about the world that it works in causes and effects that something had to, had to start the momentum, had to cause uh, the dominoes to fall and the the world to exist.
0: Yep. I think that's a a good way to put it. Um, So there's, and that, that thing, whatever causes that must be outside of um, for, in this case, the universe, Yep, the universe itself being caused the uncaused first cause must be something that is outside of the universe. Yeah.
1: Self-existence really, it, it must be eternal.
0: Yep. That's right. Yep. So, so, um this is one argument one of the most common arguments um and, and it teaches us about you know obviously about God like I said as an uncaused first cause um but the reality is that knowing that that does not prove to us the existence of the Christian God of the Bible it does not prove to us the existence of the triune God um and it does not teach us necessary things that we need to know for saving faith it does not teach us about the gospel um To know that there is an uncaused first cause is one thing, but to know that there is a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever may believe in, whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. That is an entirely different thing. Um, And the Bible is clear that in order to have a, uh, uh, a saving knowledge of God, we need to hear the gospel. Yeah. Amen. And this does not get us there. And it also does not teach us the the Trinitarian nature of, of God,
1: yeah, and I think throughout, um, at least since the Enlightenment, people have have picked up on these 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 arguments and seen the validity in them, and they'll grab onto them. Uh, but that's all they'll grab onto. Yes, I believe in a the uncaused first cause. I believe in a um, in a higher power is maybe something you've heard. Yeah. And what we're saying is, you can believe in some sort of higher power, uncaused first cause, and that doesn't get you to salvation. Yeah. That leads to hell
0: and actually actually it was this this argument was actually first developed you know the the kalam um, it's named after a a medieval scholar who was actually a muslim yeah um, so he didn't believe in in the that doctrine just of the trinity the point. um he didn't believe in the doctrine of, of the gospel i um, mean you could actually argue it goes a little bit further back than that you know Ar- the the philosopher aristotle um, a greek philosopher who was a pagan and had no knowledge of of the scriptures. Um, Often he would write of what's called the prime mover, Mm -hmm. uh, the first mover, kind of the same idea, the uncaused first cause. So human reason, the whole point of this is that human reason is able to, I think, demonstrate the reality that um, there must be a first cause, which is outside of us and outside of the universe. But we have to be very careful to understand that does not get us the gospel. Mm -hmm. That does not get us the the Trinitarian God of the Bible, the one true and living God. Um, So that's the Kalam cosmological argument. The next one, um, another common argument from human reason, um, is called the teleological argument. Um, It also is known as the the argument from design uh, or the fine-tuning argument. Um, Basically, the idea here is is that as we look at the universe we observe that it, it sort of exhibits um, intelligent design and so if the world exhibits intelligent design then it must have an intelligent designer um, one example uh, one guy famous for this actually these arguments today is a guy named william lane craig um, one thing that he points to often is the the laws of nature and physics and how the laws of nature and physics are perfectly fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life. And many of those things, um, if, you, if you change them ever so slightly, it would remove the possibility for the existence of life on earth. One example that he lists is that the force of gravity, uh, the of force of gravity exists at a, what's, what's called a, a constant. Um, and if that, if that constant were to be altered um, by one part out of 10 to the 100th power, then the universe would not be able to permit the existence of life. So we can look at these things that are, uh, we can see that the universe is so clearly fine-tuned that it cannot have come about by chance. And we can look at other things like the way that the earth exists in our solar system, uh, the size of the earth, uh, the distance of the earth, f- earth from the sun, uh, the size of the moon and how that affects the um electromagnetic field of the earth, all of these things are so perfectly fine-tuned uh, to create this this earth where the reality of life is allowed to exist that uh, it is I- impossible that these things could have come about randomly. Yeah. So we yeah. see that the earth uh, and the universe exhibits intelligent design. Um, we can also look at uh, the complexity of, of human life or animal life. Um, we can look at the complexity of the human body um, and, and You know Molecular biologists Especially today They look at th- at DNA um, And what we've learned About DNA Human DNA Or any DNA Is that it It, it is uh, it, It's something That exhibits Incredible uh, Design And structure To it mm-hmm. um, It's actually f- It actually functions A lot like Computer code If you're familiar At all with computer code I'm not But I'm told These <coughs> things um, And And the reality is that human DNA is actually far more complicated than than the computer code that intelligent human minds are able to create. Um, so it, it is just abundantly clear that as we look at the world, as we look at the way that things operate and happen, it's clear that the world exhibits intelligent design, and therefore um, it has an intelligent designer. Yeah. There, there was a creative and intelligent mind who has ordered things in such a way, and of course, the the logical conclusion of that is that 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 intelligent mind would would represent God, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think again, a blessing of our day is we have scientists, particularly Christian scientists, who who are using. Uh, their belief in Christ and the Bible and then their, their knowledge of science and showing all these crazy things. Like we could Google and share all these crazy statistics. Um, I'm thinking of a book evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. I think he gets quite in, uh, mm-hmm. into those things, but even just a Google search of, of the intelligent design and some um, statistics or facts to, to prove it. And it is just fascinating um, and wonderful stuff. And we can know, I mean, this table that we're recording this podcast and with our computers on, we know that this table didn't just come out of nowhere. Someone made this table. Someone created it. Um, And it's the same thing um, with this. And the world's going to tell you that, you know, if you take time and chance plus matter and you throw it in a shoebox and you shake it up for a trillion years, poof human existence and all these crazy things, uh, came to be, and we have sustainable life and it's just, Oh, just so perfect. Now that's foolishness. And even the, the illustration, we don't have these illustrations, but I'm sharing them. Um, like if you took a, a, a Rolex watch and you took it apart and you had all these pieces, I don't remember how many exactly three, 400 pieces of a Rolex watch and you put it in a shoebox. And I took a thousand years or whatever, a million years, and I shook up that shoebox and just constantly shook it up. Time plus chance plus matter. I'm not going to open the shoebox in a billion years and I have a functioning Rolex watch. Mm-hmm. That's foolishness. It yeah, that
0: goes against everything that we know. Yeah, um, We, know, which, uh, we know that things which function and operate. When things smash together,
1: it creates destruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Big Bang doesn't <laughs> yeah. create doesn't a create order. A beautiful, orderly world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's the argument, for, uh, the teleological argument or the fine-tuning argument. Um, so I, I again, I want to give credence to this in the sense that I think it proves the reality of an intelligent designer of the universe. Yep. Um, I think it, it proves and shows to us that God is a creator, an intelligent creator, um, but it does not <coughs> show us or prove to us that God is a redeemer. Yep. Um, again, it it does not teach us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It does not teach us that reality and it does not teach us the Trinity either. Um, and another thing just about these, about these last two arguments, neither of them teach us anything about the will of God for our lives. Mm. They don't teach us why we were created. They don't teach us how we should live. They don't teach us where we're going. Um, and those are our necessary things that we need to know. Um, and that's what the special revelation, the Bible comes to teach us, um, to give us true knowledge of God and of these important
1: matters. But even as we say that, I don't want to totally undermine these arguments. They are beneficial. They're bolstering to our faith. It gives me confidence, even sharing the illustration to show yeah. that, you know, there's credence to what we believe about God and his existence and even, uh, memorizing or learning some statistics, uh, about the complexity of the universe might be helpful, yeah. um, in your evangelistic pursuits and, and sharing with people, depending on who you get into a conversation. Uh, but we obviously don't want to end there. We yeah. want to get to, to the scriptures and I think we'll argue in, a, in maybe a later episode um, for most of the time we want to start with the scriptures we want to start with the Bible to defend uh, our view of God yes we do alright so that's the teleological argument we're going to move to the last one
0: um, just in this section on the the insufficiency of human reason and this is the moral argument there's more arguments I won't I won't go through them all but just to give a these are the biggest a few ones, examples though. these are some of the biggest ones yeah. the moral argument um, again William Lane Craig a prominent teacher of these things um uh these are his three premises. Premise 1: If God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Premise 2: Objective moral values and duties do exist. Premise 3: Therefore, God exists. Um it's a pretty simple syllogism. Um the idea is that if, if there are uh if there are objective and transcendent moral laws in the universe and we can observe them, um, then there must be a transcendent lawgiver. Uh, there must be some standard of goodness or someone who, who gives these laws or something to measure them against. Um, so I, I think this argument, again, holds. Um, we, we do observe that there are transcendent moral laws that are true everywhere and all of the time. Um, an example of that is we know that, that everywhere, all the time, it is wrong and evil to kill somebody, mm-hmm. uh, to kill a person um, made in God's image, to kill a human. Um, that is wrong and evil All the time and
1: everywhere Yeah And I think this argument is particularly helpful today Especially in America and the world in which we live um, Where everything is so subjective And there is no moral truth Or, or, or um, objective moral reality um, At least so they claim um, And we can show them Yet, yeah, No matter where you go If you go to Africa, United States uh, You go to Antarctica You meet someone there, they know it's wrong to kill people. They know it's wrong to lie. God has written his law on our hearts and our mind. Um, And that's proof that there is an objective morality that no matter where you are and what culture you're in, uh, there are certain moral truths. um, We know that there was a moral law giver. And I think that's a a helpful argument today in a world that is so wishy-washy and subjective to show, no, actually, there is some moral truths that that hold uh, this world together. and It's actually a part of God's common grace, so that the world doesn't implode on itself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it is. And if you actually, I mean, the the reality of this argument, if you're going to deny those premises, if you're going to deny that objective moral values in it exist, uh, you you basically like are are plunging your worldview into
1: complete futility. Yeah, which is interesting with some of these more consistent atheists. Um, they will actually say, you know, you're right. If God doesn't exist, then then there's no objective morality. Therefore, uh, I have no reason really to live uh, under th- uh, some moral code. Everyone yeah. can just do what they want, and they will actually say that. Yeah,
0: and you can't actually tell <laughs> anyone else that they that they need to follow any moral yeah. code either. Y- yeah, you you can't make any objective moral claim. Um, you can't look back at World
1: War II and say that was wrong what mm-hmm. Hitler
0: did. Um. You, you you cannot say that because to
1: him he was doing what is morally right in his opinion. Yep. But we can, from the Christian worldview, knowing uh, that there is moral truth, look back and say that was terribly wicked, that was evil, yep. objectively. No, obje- no matter the, yeah.
0: no matter if the powerful person in government said it was good, or if the yep. society as a whole um, agreed together that it was good, we know there was objectively morally evil and wicked. Yep, um, and that the the reality for that comes from the fact that there is a transcendent law giver.
1: Yeah, and it also teaches that, that this transcendent law giver is moral as yep. well. Yep. So as we've seen throughout these things, we, we can learn certain things about about God that are true and that are right. But again, it, it, it doesn't take us uh, to, to a true and saving relationship and a personal relationship yep. with, the, with the one true triune living God. Yep.
0: So here's the summary. Uh, the moral argument can tell us that there is a being that exists that is the standard of goodness and justice. Mm-hmm. It can tell us that God is just. But it does not tell us that God is merciful. It doesn't tell us what Exodus 34, 6 says, that he is abounding in steadfast love and and mercy, that he pardons iniquity and transgression and sin. Um, it does not tell us that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, it gives to us no gospel, Hope and no gospel promise Um, So conclusion On all of these sort of Arguments from human reason uh, The classical arguments for the existence of God uh, They can give us confidence and assurance I think that That God God exists um, At least uh, A being exists Which is outside of the universe Um, A being that is the first cause of things, a being that is intelligent, self-existent, eternal, and a being that is moral. Um, But these are not enough to teach us the necessary doctrines of the Christian faith that we have that we need to have a saving knowledge of God. They don't teach us the gospel. They do not teach us about the Trinity. Um, They do not teach us about the will of God for our lives. Human sin. Nope. They (laughs) don't teach us those things. They don't teach us about the cross of Christ. So that's human reason. One other thing that we were going to talk about is something called empiricism. Um, and this is a, a theory of knowledge based upon uh, sense experience. Um, it is a theory of knowledge that claims that everything we can know is only that which we can observe and test. That all of our knowledge must be derived from human sense experience. This is a common uh type of worldview or epistemology. That just means a theory of knowledge in the world today. Um, the scientific method sort of comes out of this uh, enlightenment, Im- empir- empiricism, worldview, or epistemology. Um, if you remember, the first step in the scientific method is that you should ask a question about something that you observe. Um, and often, you know, and just in our world today, the the common thought is that this is the this is the only means to knowledge. Um, we can't know something unless we can see it, touch it, taste it, put it in a tube and test it um, and observe it and, and create some sort of hypothesis and run experiments and these things. Um, but James, why is this not sufficient for us to know God?
1: Yeah, because God is not observable. We cannot measure God. We can't put him in a box and and do the scientific method to him. He is spirit. Um, Therefore, we can't use, uh, yeah, the the pretty little scientific method that I learned in uh, fourth grade um, to know exactly who God is. Now we do, I mean, we live in an observable material world in which we can know true things. We're not saying that these things aren't true. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use science to learn about the body and, and, and about real, true things about the world. Yeah, we've learned a
0: great deal through yeah, through amen, the common grace method. of God. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few other things, though. Th- this is just an insufficient. This is actually just an insufficient uh, epistemology, totally in general. I'm mm-hmm. um, not just the knowledge of God, but anything that is immaterial, uh, you cannot study. You cannot s- you cannot observe uh, and, and test in a physical way mathematics. You cannot observe or test the reality of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things which are outside of material Emotions, existence. Emotions, love. That's right. <laughs> yeah. you, you cannot observe and test those things. Um, you cannot form some sort of hypothesis that you can perform an experiment on and come to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, and so in the same way, it is I- insufficient for knowing God. Um, I love what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. Um, chapter 2, section 1, talking about God. Um, with some good scripture references. I'll use a few, but it says that there is only one living and true God. He is infinite in being and perfection. Uh, he is a most pure spirit, invisible, and he is without body or parts. Um, John 4:24 says that God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and truth. The reality is that we can't see God. We can't test him. We can't observe him. Um, he is over and above and beyond our scientific method or our... Uh, human sensory capacities. John one eighteen says, "No one has ever seen God, the only God, uh, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known." First um, Timothy six fifteen talks about God. It says, "He is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable right, in an unapproachable light, whom no no one has ever seen or can see." Um, now, there's a beautiful. Reality there that john 1 gets at um, in the person of christ. The invisible god has become visible mm-hmm. uh, The invisible god has taken on a visible human nature um, And has made known the invisible Nature of god to to us Um, that's why first john he opens and he says, you know We declare to you that which we have seen that which we have touched that which we have heard mm-hmm. um, The immortal became mortal uh, the the Creator God took on human flesh, and apostles in His day were able to see, touch, uh, f- feel um, Jesus, God incarnate. And one day, when we exist in heaven in the person of Jesus, who has taken on His human nature and remains in His human nature, we will be a- we will also be able to see and touch uh, God, mm. which is a glorious glorious reality, but Jesus does not live on the earth anymore. He is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. Um, And we, we wait for his coming back and we will all see him once again. Mm. Amen. Um, The next thing we're going to talk about um, briefly is in the Bible. There's, there is a category. Um, Theologians will often uh, divide types of revelation from God into two categories. We have what we call general revelation And we have what is called special revelation. So as we see, even from some of the arguments earlier, um, we see that there are things which we can know about God from creation itself. There are things that we can observe and that it teaches us about God. But again, general revelation is not enough for saving knowledge of God. But, excuse me, let's go through a few passages where we can sort of see this. One passage is going to be Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 19 opens this way. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Um, The picture here is that we can look up at the sky, we can look up at the heavens uh, which God has made, and they declare to us, The glory of God. Um, Again, we can look at the world and um, we can observe the the beauty and the majesty of creation. We can stand before mountains and look at sunsets. Um, We can look at the stars of the sky and we can think to ourselves and imagine the glorious power of the one who created all of these things. Amen. The wonderful, majestic, intelligent design of of the one who, as the book of Isaiah says, stretched out the heavens like a curtain. Yeah, um, It's a glorious reality. The heavens declare the glory of God. James, do you want to go to Romans 1?
1: Yeah, I got a question. Oh, go ahead. I'm thinking about, so when when we talk about general revelation, I feel like we're often talking about uh, just the creation, mm-hmm. uh, nature itself. But would you say that, like the, the arguments that we went out, uh, above, they f- would you say they fall under the category of general revelation? I would say yes. I that's would say the fact thinking, that you know? that God
0: has given it to us the faculty of reason. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Um, I, I would say yes. I would also say like uh, you know, Ecclesiastes it says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. Yeah, exactly. That's um, kind of what i was saying You know, at, where wherever you go places where there was not special revelation from God, wherever you go, um, people believe in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Um, almost all cultures universally believe in some form of afterlife. Um, so I think it's true that God has, God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Um, there's a reality that we know that there's something beyond our current existence.
1: Yeah. And our, our human reason and faculties, uh, generally like we laid out above give us an understanding of god in, in a in a general sense and so i i don't think we should pigeonhole exactly i feel like that's kind of how we think about it most mm-hmm. is that general revelation is just uh looking out at nature but i think that these other things fall under this category as well uh in, in, in a full orbed way
0: yeah there's a great quote from john calvin i can't remember it what it is but he says that god has placed the seed of religion in every man's heart mm-hmm. something like that um we are a yeah, we are a, we're, we're naturally a religious people. Um, pe- people long for explanations about origins and, and meaning and uh, to, to, to worship. We're created to
1: worship yep. things. Um, Everyone is a worshiper. I think we've talked about it before. Yeah, that's right. Everyone it just depends something. on what you're worshiping.
0: Yeah. All right. Another place in the Bible that teaches this reality of general re- revelation. Th- this will show us, too, that general revelation is not enough for a saving knowledge of God. Um, I'm going to go to Romans 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And I think I'm going to read all the way down to 23. Um, but it begins this way. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I will stop there for one second. Um, that what, what Paul is saying here is that in the things that have been made, in the creation, the invisible attributes of God are, are seen and they're shown. Um, a few things that Paul mentions, he mentions the eternal power of God. Again, as we look at God as the creator of all things, we know that he is powerful. We can look at the stars of the sky and see the, the power of God. Um, Paul also mentions the divine nature. Um, it's clear to us that whatever was the creator of these things is over and above us. He is set apart. Um, and it's also clear to us, and I think you know, we get, th- we get at the idea that all of us are worshipers naturally. It's clear to us that whoever made these things is one who should be worshipped. Amen. Um, The divine nature of God is seen in the creation. Um, But the problem, the problem for us um, is exactly what Romans 18 says, um, that by our unrighteousness, we suppress the
1: truth. James, what does that mean? That because of our sin nature, which was imputed to us through the fallenness of of Adam and Eve, um, we therefore are born into this world and we see the truth of God, we perceive it from general revelation, even special revelation, and what we try and what we choose to do is to suppress that truth. You can think of it like um, a volleyball on top of the water. Um, we take that volleyball and the truth of God's uh, world that he's given us and we suppress it under the water. We literally push it down under the water uh, and it's speaking to us and, and it could come up um, through the power of God's spirit, but we sadly, suppress the truth without God's uh, Holy Spirit working in us.
0: Yeah, and that that comes from a desire for unrighteousness, uh, an innate desire in us for sin that wants to keep that truth down. Now, I want to finish, continue reading in this passage. Um, It says, uh, The divine power, or the eternal power and divine nature of God have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have made. Then it says this, So they are without excuse. So general revelation, I believe, is enough to leave men and women before God without excuse. Um, It teaches things about God, and the reality is that um, even what we know, our hearts are so sinful that even what we know by general revelation, we violate, and we go against, and we become guilty before God in sin. Um, Verse 21 puts it well. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So even uh, the knowledge of God that comes through through general revelation, um, though it is not enough to save, it is enough to make men guilty. um, And they suppress that knowledge. um, They turn away from it. And they worship falsely. Um, and in unrighteousness, they suppress
1: this truth. Yeah, so this this text I- is the place to go when you're asking the question, what about uh, the person in Africa who's in the middle of the jungle who's never heard about Jesus Christ?
0: You know, actually, Africa has some of the most Christians in the world.
1: <laughs> we we got to change that analogy. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another place. Um, you got one?
0: Well, it used to be, I mean, there's still some tribal islands, yeah. but... Uh, Actually, the world, the, the the missions movement of the church has reached many places. There are still unreached people groups. Yeah. Um, there are still people who
1: have not heard the gospel or the name of Jesus. But that list is becoming smaller. Amen. So someplace um, where someone hasn't heard the name of Jesus or, or, or has the Bible in their language, um, what this teaches, which is offensive and, and honestly hard to swallow, is that they are without excuse and guilty before a, a holy and just God to be, to be damned because there was enough revealed to them. Mm-hmm. And that they violated and went against that which was revealed to them as well. And they exchanged the truth about God and, and decided to worship what God created instead mm-hmm. of that.
0: Yeah. Okay, so even as it comes to general revelation, we will uh, wrap this up by saying that it is not enough.
1: Oh, but it tells us so much. And I was convicted as you shared this. um, We were talking about this episode is like, we can learn a lot from general revelation. I can look at the sun and how powerful and glorious that the sun is. Like, I'm sure there's some crazy stat we could look up that of how much um, energy is in the sun. I'm sure someone studied it. And God literally just like flicked that thing out with his pinky (laughs) finger. Like how much... (laughs) (laughs) More powerful is the one who created it. And uh, we can learn so much um, from just stopping and looking at the sky and and, um, stopping and and observing the world that God created. But as we're going to talk about the way in which you can interpret general revelation correctly and truly is through the lens of special revelation or through the Bible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that one day the the glory and the brightness of God is going to make the sun look like a 60-watt light bulb. Mm, Amen. I I, I really do. So um, to close this out, again, general revelation um, is not enough for a saving knowledge of God. It doesn't teach us the gospel, and it cannot change the heart of man. Now, we're going to talk about all of this is just building to the reality um, that in the Bible... God has given us a special word. Um, he has given us a revelation of himself, which he can teach us about uh, his will, his great redeeming acts in history, um, and the, the great and glorious news of the gospel. Um, and that is able to, God uses that to reveal himself, uh, to make himself known to us so that we will be changed by it. So there, I think there are two things. There are two things for a necessary, uh, There are two things that are necessary for a saving knowledge of God. Two things. One is the Bible, uh, the Word of God, the Gospel especially. And two is the Spirit of God. Hmm. Um, it takes the Spirit of God to change the heart of a person. And I'm going to go through a few verses. First of all, uh, the necessity of the Gospel, special revelation of God, and the Word of God. Uh, Romans one sixteen. it says, For I am not ashamed of... Of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is through the gospel. The gospel is the the means of grace that God uses to save men and women. Um, Romans ten seventeen. It says that uh, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It says that how are they to believe in Him um, whom they do not know? How are they to, let me actually, let me read that word for word. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is necessary and imperative that we understand the gospel, uh, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And let me just share this. Um, The reality is that where the gospel is not known, God has given the task to his church to go and make the gospel known there. Where there are people who have not heard the name of Jesus, it is the reason that the church is still on the earth to this day. The reason that Christ has not come back is that people need to go there and bring the gospel. Um, It is God's desire and plan that there will be and promise that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation on the earth. But it will require the, the sacrifice of men and women who love God and love the gospel, who will go to those places and bring it to those people and declare it before them. And God will use that. God will use that and use them to bring salvation to those people.
1: Amen. Thanks, brother, for that exhortation.
0: Of course. Um, I think so it's
1: important, too, as we consider these things, and Jackson's about to share that it's it's the Word of God that gives us a right, true understanding of who God is, who we are, and, and what our meaning and purpose is. Um, and that's not just for the non-Christian. That's for the Christian as well. Um, even now, all of us are, are believing things that are false about God or or have, uh, views of God that are maimed or, or twisted. And we need to always be evaluating. What am I believing about God? Even in this moment, is it true in the scriptures? Or if I made up in my imagination, uh, some sort of thing about God that is untrue. And so we constantly need to be, um, pouring ourselves into the scriptures and, uh, Working backwards, because we, for a lot of us, um, I came to Christ when I was 20 years old, and I had, whatever, 20 years of, uh, of terrible beliefs about who God was, a uh, God of my own imagination. And I need to take those views and rework them according to what God has revealed about himself, which is true and right. So again, the Christian, as well as the non-believer, need to be going to the Word of God to see who God really is.
0: Amen. Um, The last thing I'm going to mention, so we need the Word of God. Um, In order to understand God rightly, we also need the Spirit of God. In order to have a saving knowledge of God, we need the Holy Spirit to do something in us. Um, I'm going to show that reality in a few places. One is in John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is hidden from him um, unless one is born again by the Spirit. Um, Another great example is in Matthew 16. Jesus asked his disciples, um, he said to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some people say Elijah, some people say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? And it says, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Um, it is God himself through the power of the spirit who implants this true saving knowledge of God. Peter was not taught by flesh and blood. He wasn't taught by humans. He wasn't taught by, um, it wasn't through the power of his reasoning or yeah. his physical f- or mental faculties. It was by the operation of the spirit of God in his heart and mind that he that he was able to understand and see and hear the reality of who
1: christ is amen and for us too today and for the listeners out there as well it's the spirit of god who's revealed these things to you and that's why god is getting all the glory as he deserves
0: mm-hmm. uh, the last one i'm going to say is first corinthians chapter two is really clear on this um, i'm going to go straight to Verse 14, just very, very quick. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, the natural person is referring to someone who is without the Spirit of God. That person is not able to accept the things of God, Um, they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Because they, we, we need the
1: enlightening and illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God has given us His Word to stand on. It is sufficient to reveal all we need to know. It's sufficient for our joy and our salvation. God has revealed Himself most fully um, in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate to us mm-hmm. to seek and save sinners um, and we praise God for that. So to wrap it up, Jackson, we're at uh, almost 50 minutes here.
0: Yeah, we better close. Well, I'll finish with uh, the same verse I entered with last time. Jeremiah nine twenty three through 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and righteousness and justice in the earth amen thank you for tuning into the heart of flesh podcast and um, we pray that this has been a blessing to you um, and we pray that you will continue to listen as we uh, go through this series on the doctrine of our great and glorious god